I'd like to invite forward our guest preacher for today. That's great. This world traveler. Thanks for Pastor inviting Mark. me. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. You got a great it's church. nice to have you back. Do you, do you know, when you're gone, everybody asks where you're at because they miss you so much. That's, that's what it is. I promise. That's sweet. I it appreciate is. that. I'm not, I'm not kidding. They yeah. always want to know where you're at because they miss you so much. So he is well, back, back today to be able to share the word with you. And I'm glad you're back too. We've got no more trips planned. Nothing's booked for the rest of the year. <laughs> so as far as I know, as far as I know, I'll be here. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, we're doing this fun series we do in the summertime where we look at some of the popular movies that are coming out, the summer blockbusters, and look kind of, you get this kind of world's perspective on different thoughts, different ideas, and it's, I think it's fun to compare and contrast kind of to our biblical worldview. There's always similarities, there's always some little differences, uh, and I'm actually super jealous uh, because last week, Pastor Jeremy got to talk about Top Gun, which is like my favorite movie. Uh, he did a great job, great message on that, uh, but uh, I missed getting to do it. So, But today, we also have a really great movie, and it also has airplanes in it. Did you know that? Uh, this is called Come From Away. Now, it's actually a musical. It was a Broadway hit, smashing success. Um, but uh, I think Apple TV has uh, recorded the live performance, and you can watch it. I'm sure you can rent it wherever you want to rent movies. Um, and I'd encourage you to, to check it out. Uh, it's, it's really good. It's a very heartwarming story. It's a true story uh, about the people that live in a little village called Gander, Newfoundland, Canada, on September 11th, 2001. Uh, many of you here uh, remember that day, and you remember almost immediately after the terrorist attack, uh, the United States closed their airspace. Uh, all flights were canceled. All airplanes were grounded wherever they were. And so this is a story about the dozens of jumbo jets that were over the Atlantic Ocean coming from Europe to the United States when that order was given. So they couldn't enter and land in the U.S., didn't have enough fuel to turn around and go back to Europe. So they landed in Gander, a small town of about 9,000 people on the far, far northeast edge of North America. And it's a heartwarming story because we see incredible generosity from the people of that village uh, to these Passengers, these strangers, these, these sojourners who were in crisis. And I'm going to give you a little uh, clip. These are actual news. This is actual footage, videos, pictures uh, of Gander in September of 2001. And just a little uh, minute or two uh, documentary Everyone, about it. Everyone, take this to heart. Think of how you can make a little difference in the world if you have a positive attitude. Welcome to Unexpected Visit to Canada. We are in Gander, Newfoundland. Every single plane over the ocean is being diverted here, I think. Uh, just informed of the horrible tragedy in Washington and in New York City. Everyone knows the story of 9-11, but this story is a positive that came from that day. How long can you physically ground every plane in the world? It has been a chaotic day in airports. All flights out were canceled and flights headed for the United States landed here instead. 
There's 38 planes, and they're all here in Gander. 7,000 people showed up in a community of 9,000 and stayed for four days. Everybody that comes to Newfoundland, you're come from a ways. You're come from somewhere else. So that's what we call it, the people on the planes. Come from a ways. We didn't know where we were, what was going to happen, or how long we'd be there. But as soon as we started meeting the people of Gander, that kind of went away. We just fell out of the sky onto their town. We'd been taken out of turmoil in the world, but we'd been taken care of by these people in Uganda. The spirit of what they did, taking care of strangers. We showed them human kindness will outdo hatred any day. Unbelievable place. I cannot believe people of this town. They literally served 386,000 meals during that time. We wouldn't have experienced that type of hospitality in our own hometown. And the people, Gander, they have set the bar so high. It's a community effort. We were all there because it was a nasty turn somewhere else. But right now, we're going to look after you. They needed food. They needed clothing. They needed shelter. But most of all, they needed love. So 7,000 passengers stranded in a town of population 9,000. These 9,000 people, it took every single one of them to come together to serve, to host, to share, to care for these people. In a time of crisis, everybody was in shock. People were in great fear. Uh, these people stranded, not being able to contact their loved ones for, for days. It, well, just one of the statistics that 386,000 meals they prepared in uh, those four brief days. It's, it's an incredible story. And they, here's the little cultural uh, maybe difference here is that they view it as this, this spirit of human kindness, this uh, goodwill overcoming evil. What it is, it's, it's the mercy of God. Wh whether, whether they recognize it or not, whether we know it or not, anytime someone is actually doing a neighborly deed for someone else, it's the mercy of God incarnate, right, in the flesh, uh, actually physically helping, serving, hosting, blessing other people. And so that kind of leads us to the gospel reading this morning where Jesus is confronted by this person who is an expert in the law. He knows the rules of God. He, he knows them inside and out, upside down, forwards and backwards. And so he comes to Jesus and to try to justify himself, to try to uh, uh, figure out exactly what is it of all of these laws, all of these rules you know, what's the important ones? What's the ones I can kind of slip on? And so he just comes to Jesus with this question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That, that's a logical question. I mean, that's a good question that we ask probably from time to time. But it shows the upside down actual kind of worldview that we have versus God's view of us, who we are, who he is, and how we relate to him, how he relates to us. It demonstrates uh, a desire 
to accomplish enough good works, good deeds, neighborly acts in order to please God and get to heaven. Well, the thing is, Jesus teaches the expert in the law and he teaches us today is you can't, we can't do enough to inherit eternal life. It has to be given to us. So it's not the bad question, it's just the wrong question to ask Jesus. It's not what, what do I have to do to get to heaven, it's what has God done for me? What has God done so that I will be in heaven? And again, it's so easy, even for, you know, you get old Lutheran Christians, we're solid, saved by grace, we got it, we know it. But you know what? It's so natural when we, when we look at how our relationships work in the world, we call this kind of a horizontal view, like our neighbors, our family, our coworkers, our friends. Um, what we do does matter a lot in, all, in those relationships. Do something good for someone, they'll do something good for you. You work hard, you'll get ahead. You slack off, you'll fall behind. It's how it works in the world. We're very active in making those relationships good, being in good standing with other people. And so it's, it's intuitive to us. And so it's natural for us to start thinking that, well, if it works this way with everybody that I know, it must work that way with, with God. But it doesn't, and it can't. And that's the point Jesus is making. We need God's mercy. We need Jesus to come down to us. There's no ladder that we can climb to get to heaven. He has to, and he did literally come down to us in the flesh, born, lived, died, rose again for us to open that door to heaven. Uh, Just to give you a little example of uh, this two different kind of worldviews, a lot of times pastors get asked, um, do I have to go to church to be saved? I love it when people ask that question. Because as soon as they ask, do I have to go to church to be saved? I immediately say, yes, you do. Absolutely. Because if you're asking, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Be perfect. You have to be perfect. If you're trying to do it on your own, what do you have to do? Everything. The whole law. Perfectly love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe you should ask the question, (laughs) uh, do I get to come to church because God has saved me, because I have the gift of eternal life? Then, yeah, yeah, you do get to do that. Uh, But anytime we think in terms of what do I have to do, we're just looking at it upside down. Uh, There's nothing we can do, and that's even pleasing God. God's mercy comes down to us, deserved Uh, not at all. And so uh, then this uh, expert in the law asked the question, well, okay, Jesus said, uh, okay, do all these things. You know, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you're right. Hey, go and do it. And then 
it's interesting. So the expert's like, okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Yeah, I got that. I can do that. Wow. <laughs> the one he's concerned about is love your neighbor as yourself. He's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of tough. He goes, hey, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Because he wanted to know. Who does he really need to sacrifice? Who does he really need to serve, show, you know, treat neighborly? And who are the people he can you know, kind of ignore? And the way Jesus answered the question is by telling a story. This famous parable is the answer to the question, who is my neighbor? You've heard the story now a couple of times. JJ and Kat shared it with you already. <clears throat> but it, this is the same story of Gander, right? This is a, a, a passenger, this is a traveler stranded on the side of the road. He was beset upon by burglars who robbed him, who beat him, who even stripped him of everything, his clothes, everything, and left him for dead. And a priest and a Levite, that's the expert in the law, come walking along, see him laying there, uh, poor guy, walk on by. And then the Samaritan comes along. And remember, the Samaritans and the Jews were mortal enemies. They hated each other. And the Samaritan does way more than anybody would ever expect, of anybody, much less a Samaritan. He stops. He binds up the man's wounds. He gives up his mount and leads him to an inn and pays for his expenses at the end and promises to pay for whatever medical expenses this man needs to be healed, to be you know, brought back to life. It's, it's an incredible sacrificial act. And Jesus is kind of saying, go and do likewise, right? Go and care for be neighborly to, to everyone. And so when we look at this verse, who is my neighbor, we almost always answer that question with what? Who's our neighbor? Everyone, right? Everyone. There isn't anybody that we can ignore or not care about or just leave to the side of the road and not help. But everybody is our neighbor in Jesus' worldview, right? And that's the perfect answer for the expert in the law who's trying to find that loophole. Who do I really need to worry about? Who do I really need to spend my time, give? Who can I ignore? No. No. Everybody is your neighbor. But here's what happens to me. And so I wonder, I wonder if this happens to you. When I start to think that everybody is my neighbor, I start to get overwhelmed. I start to think, well, I can't help 8 billion people. Whoa! Everybody's my responsibility. Everybody I'm supposed to serve. Everybody I'm supposed to care for and host and bless. <clears throat> Well, I, I can't really care for a million people. I can't care for a thousand people. 
I got a hard time caring for hundreds of people just in, in a church. I'm thankful Pastor Jeremy helps me with that, right? And we have a whole family. But it can be so overwhelming that I can become paralyzed that I end up not helping anybody with anything. And so I want to just shift the question a little bit from first person to second person. Instead of going to Jesus and say, hey, who's my neighbor? Well, everybody. I want to ask you today, who is your neighbor? Your neighbor. Who, who's the person who lives across the street from you? You picture them in your mind right now? Who's the person that works across the office from you? Who's the person that works out across the gym from you? You see their face. Do you know their name? Do you know their kids? Do you know their story? Who is your neighbor? Who has God dropped from the sky into your life right in front of you? God wants you to be neighborly too. Now here's a clip. This is from the actual musical, uh, the movie that you can rent. On the northeast tip of North America is a town called Gander. September 11th, 2001. Over 200 planes getting diverted. Even with all the hotels in town, we've got no room. With thousands of passengers arriving at any minute, the town is asking for help with, well, anything you can do. We barely know where we are. Just freaking out. I wish I was home. Thank you for shopping at Walmart. Would you like to come back to my house for a shower? Hello? Yes, it's me. Dad, I'm okay. we also commemorate what we found. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, such a, it's such an amazing, amazing story. It's just a perfect example, right, of sharing God's mercy, being a neighbor to one another. So going back to the parable, Jesus teaching about who's your neighbor, who, how to be neighborly, Let's decipher it just a little bit. So this is a story Jesus told. And so there's characters in the story that represent other people. So let's start with the victim. Who is the man that got beaten and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road? You know who that was? That was the expert in the law. It was you. It was me. Who robbed us? Who beat us? and left us for dead on the side of the road? It's actually the law. The law. It completely exposes us to how desperate we really are. Now you gotta think about the frame of mind a human must be in to have the ego and the gall to ask Jesus 
what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because I know I must be this close. I'm so good. Man, I know I fall into that trap. I can walk all around all week long and sprain my shoulder, patting myself on the back. I watch the news. I'm like, well, I've never killed anybody. I've never robbed a bank. I've never cheated on my wife. I've never done drugs. I've never, I'm a pretty good person. Oh, boy. But then when you look at God's law, love your neighbor as yourself. No, I've fallen way short on that. Way short. Paul tells us that we were actually dead in our sins when Jesus died on the cross to save us. And here's the, here's the irony for the expert in the law and for me from time to time. The very thing that he was using to try to justify himself, the law, is the very thing that condemned him and condemns us. We need, all of us need, a good Samaritan to come along, to bind up our wounds, to pay whatever the cost is to give us health and, and to live again. So who do you think the good Samaritan is? It's Jesus. And this Greek Orthodox uh, church, thousands of years, figured it out with this icon here, where the good Samaritan there literally is Jesus in the, in the picture. Jesus comes and he finds us dead in our sins, beaten, bloodied, helpless, no way to help ourselves, save ourselves, get back up on our feet. We have nothing, any way to offer. He binds up our wounds. He heals us. He gives us his steed to ride on, and he brings us to the inn, this inn, this Hospital for souls, we call the church. And he pays for our expense with his blood on the cross. All of our sins forgiven, all of the healing completed, all the restoration of all the relationships made whole again and right again. He's our good Samaritan. He is eminently neighborly in the acts and the deeds that he does for us. And then, after we receive his mercy, then we have the privilege of sharing that mercy. It's almost like a conduit. It just flows through us when we are good neighbors to the people around us. What a blessing it is. So we don't, we don't do good deeds. We don't help old ladies across the street so we can get a merit badge. Um, we don't give certain money so we can get into heaven. We don't, it's not how it works, but we receive God's mercy and grace and it's so overwhelming and it's so moving and so inspiring. I hope you get a chance to see this movie because it is very inspiring. So is the parable of the Good Samaritan, this man who gave so much for this complete stranger. It is inspiring. But the most inspiring thing of all is the life of Jesus and what he's done for you and for me and for the whole world. And every time we share his mercy with other people, Jesus finds them broken, hurt, beaten on the side of the road, and he saves them too. And we get to be a part of that.
So maybe instead of worrying about who's my neighbor, who's my neighbor, it's everybody, it's everybody. Let's just focus on the people God just drops out of the sky into our life. Right in front of us. And be neighborly to them. Do you know their name? Do you know their kids? Do you know their story? That Jesus knew yours. Amen. Now let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, your mercy is overwhelming. It is inspiring. We are in awe of what you've done for us, for life and for eternal life. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We pray that uh, the mercy that we receive from him each and every morning, new every morning, uh, would overflow from our lives to our neighbors. That would be our spouses and children. That would be our family and friends. That would be our co-workers, our classmates, uh, literal next-door neighbors. And help us to share that neighborly love with them. And in so doing, share, the, uh, share with them uh, the salvation that you provide in Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen.